larger organizations have at least the perception of more resources to retain employees. But if you're the owner or manager of a small business, where can you begin? Today, the starting point for small business leaders to be conscious of and take the first step on employee retention. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 415. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. So many different ways that we all lead in our organizations. And leadership, while the core principles, of course, are so similar in so many places, there is contextual differences depending on the size of the organization that you're in. And one of the sizes of organizations that is a real leadership challenge for so many of us is leading in a small business, and particularly the topic of employee retention. How do you retain employees in a small business, especially in a small business that perhaps is in retail or hospitality that tends to have a lot of turnover historically? But of course, there's a lot that we can do as leaders, whether you're in a business like that or in a larger business, to be thinking about employee retention. Today, I'm so glad to welcome back to the show Chris DeFirio. Chris is a cafe quality specialist who has dedicated 20 years of his life to working in and studying specialty coffee retail. In those years, he has seen success in a wide variety of roles, including barista, competitor, trainer, industry consultant, conference speaker, competition judge, ops manager, and so many other roles. Chris is also the creator and host of the industry-leading podcast, Keys to the Shop, which gives listeners insights, inspiration, and tools to grow as specialty coffee professionals and leaders. He consults to small retail business owners with an approach grounded in creativity, emotional intelligence, and operational know-how. More importantly than all of those, he is a friend. Chris, I'm so glad to welcome you back to the show. Thank you so much, Dave. It's actually such an honor to be back on the show. Last time you were on, we talked about managing part-time staff and some of the unique challenges that come along with that and scheduling. And you got a lot of us thinking in really some innovative ways around that who do manage part-time staff. And today, we're going to continue that conversation a bit, I think, of just thinking about employee retention. And it is something that is an important mindset for all of us, in particular, it's a challenge in a small business, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In small businesses, deal with turnover, especially where I am with coffee. It's a very high turnover industry and it costs a lot of money to lose people. And we lose people way too unnecessarily in, in most organizations. And so I guess the question is always like how to keep people around as, as long as possible and there's a, there's a lot to say about that. Yeah, and so I'm curious about what you just said that there's of course there's the reality of some really good reasons why there is a lot of transition in an industry like you are in. But there's also some unnecessary things. When you see the unnecessary things happening, what kind of buckets do those tend to fall in? I'd say a lot of it tends to focus in on lack of opportunity and a feeling of not being seen 
can go right along with that. You want to be recognized and rewarded for your work. And another one would be simply feeling like you're being treated improperly or not treated well. You could have all the benefits in the world and still you don't want to go to work and feel like garbage. And so you would take your pay cut gladly to feel like you were in a place where you were being affirmed, at least as a human being. And the tension of small businesses with the ups and downs of growth, especially in the beginning phases, can tend to create a lot of tense moments between people, especially between between bosses and employees. And those are some of the major ones that come to mind right away. I know one of the things that you think about a lot when you're talking with small business owners and coffee professionals is just the expectation that they bring to even before the employee-employer relationship shows up, but even into the hiring process of thinking about not just today, but thinking also about tomorrow and the long run for the small business. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So just talking about how people feel at work, it's largely dictated by how people feel about them. And if you have a mindset that says that people are expendable, this is a high turnover business and this is just a reality, and it may be a reality, but it's a scapegoat for a lot of people to not invest into their staff. And the beginning part of investing into your staff is to invest some thought into what they're going to be doing, why it matters, and who they're going to be for the company before you even hire them. So you have to have an understanding not only of your values, but the kind of values that you want your employees to have in their particular roles before you just start putting people in a place that represents those values to the customers. Because employees who are a bad fit for a role aren't bad people, they're just misplaced. A classic Jim Collins, get the right people and the right seats on the bus, right? So the question and first for you as, as somebody who's in charge of putting people in the right seats on the bus is, you know, where's the bus going and what are the requirements of the people on that bus? And so you can say right now, maybe it's a year or two into your small business. And these are the things that the barista does for in coffee uh, as an example. Well, what if you grow to five years and you're making more money and you can open a second store? Have you projected what this person that you just hired is going to be doing in five years? and how you're going to help them develop as an employee in those five years? Or are you just concerned with getting the spot filled in the temporal and then dealing with it later as it comes up? I think that mindset for not thinking about the future really comes back to bite people later on. Yeah. And you have made the point to me before that almost everyone does a pretty good job of hiring for attitude. You know, They see the person in front of them, they're going through the interview process, they can kind of get a feel for how they're going to work with the customer today, those kinds of things. But what they may focus on on attitude, they don't think very much as far as potential and what the business is going to look like six months from now, a year from now. And is this the kind of person that's going to be able to grow with the business? When you see someone do that well, like what's different? What, what, what do they approach from a mindset when they're doing that effectively? I'd say the difference is that when you're talking to somebody to try to figure out whether or not they're going to be able to handle the intangibles of the job that, or the, the things that you can't put in a job description, you can have the best job description, but actually living out what you do on a daily basis 
is the only way to actually know. But when you're in an interview with somebody, you can you can do a lot of things to figure out who this person is potentially under under the pressures of the job. First thing is to know those pressures yourself. Second is to listen for you know what they're saying behind the words that they're saying, like the way that they talk about their past jobs, the way they talk about themselves in their past jobs. Are they the hero of every scenario and everyone else just didn't get them? Or are they lifting others up and are they self-aware? You know, a great question I usually ask in interviews is, how did you contribute to the dysfunction in some of your past jobs directly? Like you yourself, not other people. And the answer to that particular question is usually pretty revealing about, you know, how they think of themselves in the in the working world. And so that's just one of the things that's different. I want to see that they have passion and I want to see that they're eager to take on challenges beyond what's expected of them in different places in their life, whether that's in work or in, in their hobbies. So that tells me something about them. It tells me that they have capacity or at least they know how to create capacity within themselves for things beyond what is currently a reality in their world. So I want to go back to that question you just asked a moment ago of the question, how have you contributed to the dysfunction in your past job? I don't think I've heard that question before. If you asked a question like that, what have you heard before that's been an indicator to you of like, yeah, this is someone who's got potential to move forward with the organization? Yeah. So I actually have an episode on the show, a short episode called My Favorite Interview Question, and that's it. (laughs) And one thing that I've heard is just that somebody in an interview in the past, what they said was that they definitely got angry too much in their last job. Like they let things really frustrate them. Mm-hmm. And that frustration led to further frustration and compounded the issues that were already issues for everybody, which on the face of it, you know, it sounds like, oh, are you just blaming somebody else? But I don't, I don't think so. I think what they were saying in, in that meeting in particular, the posture of what they were saying was that they recognized that they actually, again, contributed literally to the dysfunction that currently existed within the organization. So I'm not saying don't admit there's problems. It's actually a really key thing that they recognized that there's dysfunction in their past jobs. Nobody's immune from recognizing dysfunction. You shouldn't punish people for you know, recognizing reality. But recognizing their part to play was is key. A bad thing that I've heard is... And this was like a, a bullet dodged for me. Somebody simply said, I could have done more to correct the behavior of the people around me. And I, I just thought to myself, that was pretty arrogant to say. And you're not really, it's a non-answer. It's like the, what's your weakness? Oh, I care too much. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> classic, you know, pushing blame onto somebody else. So that interview question can be answered any number of ways. But again, if they're coming at it from a position of humility, they're going to recognize within themselves capacity for, for both good and for bad, um, just as much as I guess you know, we should. Yeah, and I'm hearing you say a bit about adaptability and flexibility here. So on one hand, as the business owner, you're thinking about being a little more adaptable and flexible than you might otherwise hiring someone, whether it's for a full-time role or a part-time role in a small business, because you're thinking about more than just today, right? You're challenging people to move to like, let's think six months out, 12 months out, maybe two or three years out. 
but you're also looking for that same level of adaptability, or if not that same level, at least an indication of adaptability and flexibility within the people that you're bringing into the organization. And I hear this question very much focused on that, of that you're looking for that same kind of willingness to reflect, to grow, to do things a little differently. And that may be an indicator that that's the kind of person that's ready and willing a little more to grow with the organization than would be someone else. Yeah, that's right. And I think after that point, it'd be nice to say, well, now there's not going to be any problems. <laughs> and <laughs> we've hired the perfect person and they'll just remain perfect. But that's just not the case. And there's a lot more work to do past that point. Yeah. Well, and that's actually a good transition to thinking about once you have people on board. I know one of the things that you're a big believer in is further training, further education, investing in people. And yet this is a real challenge in a small business, particularly because of the resources that often are not there. I'm curious, how have you seen uh, business owners do this well, even though there are not a lot of resources in a coffee shop, for example? Yeah, it's a great question. As you say, in a small business, there might not be a lot of resources. And so there tend to be silos of information. There's what you see on the back end as an owner or even as a manager, the money behind the people and the worries that come along with it, quarterly taxes, et cetera. Then there's the reality of the shop where the baristas are and they don't necessarily see that money. And I think one of the first things that you can do to engage people and keep them longer in the organization is to trust them with the reality of your business. And that's not to say that you need to give them all your financials, but there is uh, this weird wall between the back office and the front of house that creates distrust. And I like to tell people that they can talk to the baristas about the financial realities of the business so that they don't think that the owners are just taking home every dime that comes into the business. Because that's what baristas think. That's what a lot of staff think that are part-time or hourly in, in small business. And as an owner or an operations manager, you know for the money is just going to a lot of different places and sometimes anywhere but the owner's pocket. I think that's the first stage of creating an environment where there's trust in an organization that contributes greatly to how you further invest into people. Invest trust first and invest information as you know adult to adult person to person this is the reality and so that's the first thing second i would say is even though you don't have a lot of money if you do do that if you take the step to show them that you are being transparent and vulnerable with them then anything that you do beyond that anything you do for them is going to be done in the context of that knowledge. So it's going to mean more. So if you give them a raise, if you throw a, a party for them, or you send them to Coffee Fest trade show and have them take a class, in an organization where there isn't that trust or they don't know a lot about the financial part of the business necessarily, it might be just cool. That's that's neat. I hope I wish we could do this more often. But in the other environment, it's a lot more meaningful, I think, because now you you know that in spite of the fact that we have a tight budget, we're doing this anyway because we in, believe in you as employees. So uh, I'd say that's one thing that you can do. Another would be investing into a plan 
from the beginning of your business for like, what are you going to teach people further down the road? Most people stop at onboarding if it takes maybe anywhere from seven days to a month. But after that time, employees tend to become assimilated into the machine. And unless they're the squeaky wheel, they don't get much attention after that. And they recognize that as negligence and the lack of preventative maintenance for any equipment is just going to be failure of that equipment. I think the same is true for people. So have a long-term vision for how can I keep investing into people, not just in opportunities, but also monetarily. So how sometimes you have to cap off your employees at a certain level for the sake of the business. That's just a reality that you have to live with. And if they know that upfront, then they have their expectations managed. But if they've been guaranteed a raise every six months up to that point, and you miss that, now we're eroding trust. Now you're not keeping your end of the bargain. And it creates an environment where, well, you know, I need to get paid. I need to actually be rewarded for the work as the business grows. The compensation needs to grow too, and the opportunities with it. You hit on something that I have run into in my own experience working in small businesses, especially earlier in my career, and I've also seen some of our academy members run into too, is this dynamic that as onboarding someone in a small business, whether a full, full-time or part-time role is, like you said, it, it tends to be a lot of focus on the first seven days or the first month. And then there's nothing after that as far as long-term development. A lot of times we tend to take that person for granted. And then the conversation happens when that person thinks about leaving or, <laughs> or has already found another opportunity. It's like, oh, we should have been developing that person all along. And this is something that I do think is different with small and larger businesses. At least there's a perception that's different. I'm not sure in practice it's always that different, but larger businesses, there tend to be more obvious career paths. There tend to be more resources that are there. And you don't see that as much in, in small businesses. And I am curious, Chris, what are some situations you've seen where someone has gone a little bit above and beyond and maybe done something a little bit differently than this beyond just onboarding for the first seven days? What's worked? All right. So there is Onyx Coffee, for example, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Fantastic coffee company. People love working for them because they invest a lot into their employees, especially into competitions. And that's one of the things that they've really engaged in in the industry. And they've become known for a lot of their employees. They have in-house competitions. And then those winners from those in-house competitions get to partake in you know, further competitions on the national stage, et cetera. And that takes a lot of money. And it, it, it goes above and beyond what you might expect from the average cafe. And it's a creative way to keep people, keep staff engaged because it invests into them knowing full well that, like we said in the beginning, you know, turnover does happen. It's not like they're immune from losing baristas. Just when they do lose baristas, the goal is to be able to lose your staff well and have them don't want to leave this job because it's so great. And that's one of the things is giving the baristas opportunity to develop their skills that will be able to transfer to other jobs. So in competition, learning about organization, learning about timing, cleanliness, all that stuff, learning how to dictate well in a presentation, even if you don't stay in coffee, all of that stuff is going to translate over into a professional career somewhere else. 
all those things I just mentioned are things that you'd love to see somebody employ at their desk in a presentation in a boardroom, whatever it is. And so I think Onyx is a great example. And lots of other companies have internal competitions or or levels that they create to keep their baristas engaged, you know, level one barista, two, three, and it keeps getting more and more advanced just so that they're at being giving the opportunity for, for education. And I think this is key, actually, no matter what it is, you need to do it in a way that shows that you're caring about the person and not just about what the person can give to the company as a result of the skills that they've got from that investment. Because there's a stingy way to go about this and a, a generous way to go about it. A stingy way is to say, you better give me ROI on this or else. And people can feel that. And they, there's a lot of pressure. I'd rather not go to a class where that, that kind of an attitude is, is present. A generous view is to say that you know, you've done an amazing job already and you've contributed so much to the company just by you know, doing well in your work. This is how we're going to not only reward you, but we recognize that this is going to help the business too and want to give you opportunity to employ this stuff. It's much more focused on the benefit to the employee rather than the other way around, which you don't want to ignore. You do want return on your investment at some point, right? But it's the, the way you go about it. And, and also being creative about how you do these things. Because a lot of owners feel like there's nowhere to go for them because there is maybe a financial strain. But that does not mean that you can't be creative. And you can actually ask people in your staff what they think about opportunity. What would be good? What are some ideas that you have? And that's, that's not uncalled for. I mean, there's certainly conversations happening without you present about possibilities that you probably haven't thought of. And if you're not mining that wisdom, then you're probably missing out. Well, and people want that, right? Like they want professional development. And sure, there's going to be the person who is going to show up in the organization occasionally, especially in a part-time role where they might say like, you know, I just, I want to come here and get my paycheck and whatever. And hopefully we don't have a lot of those on our staff, but there's always going to be, especially if you've done the first part right, hiring the right people. There's always going to be people who are going to come and say, hey, I do want to learn more. To come back to what you said earlier, Chris, I really love that framework of thinking about help people to understand a little more of the financials. Again, not that you're handing over the check register to them necessarily, but that you're giving people perspective that a lot of times they don't have coming into a position like this of what are the kinds of things we're paying for? What are the expenses? You know, How do we handle taxes? That kind of stuff helps them to see the bigger picture. And I'm also really liking the philosophy of like thinking about how they're going to leave, You know, being being conscious of the reality that people do transition out of small businesses, especially in part-time roles, but that when they're leaving, that they feel this sense of like, this has been a great experience. I'm sad to leave because I've had someone who's put some time and attention to thinking about my broader professional development and growing those skill sets that I can leverage in other ways. And to your point, there's some really creative things you can do around that that don't always necessarily cost a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. And and something that's a hidden benefit here that I think is good for all owners and operators is the fact that in a small business, you're often hiring people. And I'm speaking from a coffee perspective. You're often hiring people that have a limited work experience. For some people, it's even their first job or at least their first brush with a very structured and organized business where there is a boss and a boss 
measures your progress, hopefully, and is doing boss things. And you have a good or a bad experience with that. What they do is they take that and they mirror that to the world as they mature as a person. Maybe one day they become a boss. And whether they have a good or bad experience with authority in their organization is going to determine how they are as a boss. So when you're hiring somebody, you're hiring the results of somebody else's good or bad efforts to invest into that employee. And so if I lose somebody and they're great, I hope that they go to somebody and that person benefits, that owner of that company benefits from that. And I will get that person too, hopefully. I'll be looking for them. I want somebody who's had a boss or a a manager who's done a great job as much as they could in of investing into this person. And the benefit here is, is good for everybody. Earlier in my career, one of my responsibilities was hiring and overseeing a part-time staff. And I used to love, Chris, hiring people that had there was their first job for that exact reason. Because then it gave me a little more of the opportunity to shape their perspective about working and their professional path forward and how they showed up in the workplace and how they learned and how they grew. And it's a little more work on the front end, for sure. But I found that like those were often the people that would stay with us longer because we had the chance to create the path for them of what the employer-employee relationship looked like. And it was, it was really fun. And I, I grew to really love that as, as a role that I had. That's awesome. Yeah. The professional rapport that you build in those situations and in even if it's not your first job, the a job where the relationships are are they're tight, they're they're healthy, they're not like <laughs> toxic and you know overly demanding, all that stuff. They're everyone knows that they're there for each other's benefit and they're cheering each other on in their roles and they have a clear understanding of that. These are the people that, you know, in my experience, I've worked for a bar before where past employees would even jump behind bar to help out <laughs> if if they could because they were so dedicated to the company's success they hated to see like something bad happen if there was a rush that was unexpected that's a unique example but it shows that in their heart they had such a fondness for the organization that even if they haven't worked there for a year they still wanted to do something to help out because part of their heart is is connected to that and that's inevitable with human relationships. You just want to make sure that when people recall it, it's a very pleasant thing. Yeah, no, that's huge. And you know, one of the other realities that I'm conscious of that people run into, and especially leaders in a small business, I, I mean, every leader runs into this, but especially in a small business, you're wearing so many hats. If you're a general manager, if you're a shift manager, there's so many different things you have to be conscious of on a daily basis and so many different skill sets. And one of the things I know you're big on when you work with people is encouraging them to pursue a break in their rhythm. Tell me more about what you mean by that. Yeah. So I think that there is a rhythm of work that you engage in where you become blind to particular things. Just the same way if if you just look around where you are right now listening to us talk about this, there's probably something that you constantly see, but never do anything about it. It's like a dust bunny in the corner or a sock that's been there for two days. If you're a parent like me, it could be many, many, many socks. (laughs) (laughs) But the point is my daily activity becomes an expectation. Subconsciously, I don't really focus. I can easily not focus on anything else except that. And I miss out opportunities 
to correct blind spots. Now, where this is important in, in work, and especially as a leader, it comes back to ultimately self-awareness. Who you are as a leader to your people is going to be determined by how you perceive yourself or if you're able to perceive yourself and how you're being perceived by others. We've both had Jonathan Raymond on the show, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. on our shows of Good Authority fame, great book. In one of the things that I loved that he mentioned in the book is that if you're being, uh, for example, overbearing, if you think you're being a little overbearing, then everyone else thinks you're being a lot overbearing. There's a magnification that comes with leadership and that magnification is inescapable, but we find a way to escape it with our rhythms. And so we have to take a break from that somehow. We have to snap out of it and view ourselves and our behaviors with fresh eyes. And I think one of the first steps to doing that is to invite feedback from the people that you lead. If you're managing managers, sit down with your managers and ask them, how is it that I'm, I'm behaving or, or how, how can I do a better job to equip you as a manager? Are there things that I can do better as your boss that you've noticed? Because I want to improve and make this the best place to work ever. You know, Just be upfront and honest with them. The thing is, is you can't expect people to respond immediately because if you haven't done that to this point and you have been in this rhythm where you, you just kind of have been doing the same thing for a long time, people have become used to that just as much as you have, you got to keep doing it and doing it and, and, and communicating and setting it and being serious about it. So people eventually say, you know, I thought it was just a fluke. Like one day he decided to talk about, you know, something vulnerable with me, but this is actually a trend. And I can see that it's serious about this. And now you're starting to get people to trust you with feedback that they might not have trusted you with before. And it starts with allowing yourself that moment of vulnerability to put a break in the pattern of the monotony that has become such a kind of warm blanket to an otherwise chaotic environment around you. It it takes a little bit of doing, but uh, as somebody who has in the past steamrolled a lot of people (laughs) with my authority and my habits, I found that this has been, while somewhat painful sometimes, very, very helpful. I love the work you're doing for small businesses, Chris, and I love especially that the term emotional intelligence is front and center on your bio and the work you're doing. Because I think we think about this a lot in large organizations, but we don't think about the importance of that a lot of times in a small business and putting those values front and center. And really, small business is the heart and soul of most of the economies around the world. So for those who want to dive in more, if you're running a small business, especially if you're in retail or hospitality, Chris's show is Keys to the Shop. It's a great starting point for that. Uh, and Chris, I've got uh, one final question for you. You know, you've been going around a lot over the last couple of years since you were last on the show, speaking at conferences, consulting, training, uh, helping small businesses grow. As you've been doing that, what have you changed your mind on in the last couple of years? Uh, I love this question. I think for me, this one is that I've, I've kind of changed the way that I pursue change. Because if I'm going into an organization to help do something, it's usually to help change something for the better, right? I want to make a difference. And in what I'm gifted in or slash Kirsten is being able to see all the stuff and hear all the things that we need to work on. 
the, the key is though, I think, and not taking it all on at once. And I'm the type of person I think that I want to finish something and, I, and I'm a little impatient with letting tension just be. You can't fix everything at once. And part of my mind, there's some part of my mind that says, yes, we can. <laughs> we just cannot fix everything at once. You need to prioritize and have your focus put on one well-chosen place that acts sort of like a, a linchpin, if you will, that once that's fixed, it holds everything else together, or it's the first domino in, in the row, where everything else is going to be affected by this. And so I've learned to choose things well, rather than just choosing all the things and giving them all equal emphasis. That's a great way to burn out, whether you're a consultant like me, or you're an owner, and you also see all the problems. Just think about what it is that you can do right now that's going to have the biggest impact, the one thing that's going to have the biggest impact on everything, and then start there. Chris DeFirio, host of Keys to the Shop. Chris, always a pleasure. Thanks for your time. Absolutely, Dave. Thank you for having me on. Several related past episodes to today's conversation, uh, Chris made the point of soliciting feedback and not just doing it once, but starting to make that a part of your regular practice as a leader. That's important, whether you're reading a small business, a large team, or uh, really almost any role in leadership. The best model I know of to do that well and consistently is from Tom Henschel. He went through that in detail on episode 107, Three Steps to Soliciting Feedback. If you'd like to get better at that as well, and also do it in a way that's intentional and transparent, I think you'll find that three-step model in episode 107 a really fabulous starting point. Also helpful to you will be episode 289, How to Lead Part-Time Staff. That was the previous episode that Chris was on. We dived in on some of the logistics of managing part-time staff in particular, and also some of the realities around scheduling and the things that tend to tr- uh, tend to frustrate small business owners and general managers and shift managers a lot. And one of the things Chris and I talked about in that conversation is how you can take some of those traditional frustrations and actually work them to your advantage, not only to your advantage, but for the advantage of the organization and the people serving you. That's episode 289. Also, I'd suggest episode 337, Six Tactics to Achieve Extraordinary Performance with Morton Hansen. Morton is out of Berkeley and talked about some of his recent research on how to affect behavior change, not only for you, but also to influence a larger team. And Chris zeroed in on one of the key principles that also came out of Morton Hansen's research as well, which is one thing at a time, daily practice, not trying to do everything all at once, not trying to have a list of 18 priorities that we're tackling at the same time. It's really, really challenging to change behavior if you're not focused on one thing. It's the exact same thing we do in our academy as well as focusing on one behavior change at a time. Episode 337 is a framework to inspire you to do that. And then finally, we mentioned the work of Jonathan Raymond and his excellent book, Good Authority. Jonathan's been on the show several times, and his most recent appearance was on episode 373, How to Connect Personal Growth to Business Outcomes. Uh, One of the things I love about Jonathan's work is that he really looks at professional development through the lens of how do you grow as a person as well. And traditionally, a lot of us in organizations, a lot of us as leaders have looked at the professional goals, and we have 
ignored or been told, don't worry about where that person is going long-term or what's important to them personally. That's not appropriate in a professional setting. And Jonathan's really challenged us all as leaders to rethink that assumption. And in episode 373, he walks us through how to really make those connections to what's important to a person on a personal level, their long-term career. And I think this is something that I have seen small business leaders and uh, retail leaders do really, really well when they do it, which is almost never. So if you're in that kind of a role, episode 373 is a wonderful place to start because it really allows you to set up the kind of a competitive advantage to attract talent and to retain talent that Chris talked about in a way that's uh, so true and authentic. So all of those episodes will be available, of course, on the coachingforleaders.com website. You can get access to all of them and the entire library searchable by topic by just going over to coachingforleaders.com and and setting up your free membership. And when you activate your free membership, it's going to give you access to the full library, searchable by topic, the weekly leadership guide that comes on Wednesdays with all of the resources I found in the last week, articles, videos, other podcasts, uh, sometimes uh, even additional resources that will help you to further develop your leadership skills. So uh, in addition access to my personal library, the member cast, and a whole bunch more that's inside the free membership. Check it out. And when you activate that, you will be off and running on everything you need to discover the topic you're looking for right now. Something I'm always encouraging you to do is think about what's important today. Go look for that and be intentional about your own professional development. With that, have a fabulous week and see you next Monday for our next conversation on leadership. Take care.